Welcome to the Women's Leadership Network podcast series. This series was created as a means to encourage, inspire, and empower women who want to make their lives better. Every day you wake up, you don't know what your emails are going to hold, and it could be an amazing high or it could be a devastating low, and you have to learn to kind of ride that out. We look for current issues and challenges facing women in the legal world and offer ways of tackling these issues as well as provide a community of support and engagement. I'm Jeannie Forrest for the Women's Leadership Network. Our guest today is Alma Assay, a 2005 graduate. Can you believe it's been that long? No. <laughs> passed in a heartbeat. 2005 graduate of NYU Law and the founder and CEO of Allegory Law, a cloud-based litigation software company. I'm really tickled to have you here, Alma, to discuss, among other topics, your experience to date. I say today because you know you're just beginning. As the founder of your own legal tech company. Well, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Because we're oriented around women, you know, I always start with a conversation with this question about your experience in law school. And because we're talking to women who are in law school, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience as a law student? Sure. I think law is an amazing area to be a woman because there's so many talented women um, around you. You know, coming up in the law school here at NYU and on to um, going to a big law firm, I actually felt like I was surrounded by talented women, which I, I maybe took for granted at the time and now have a much deeper understanding isn't always the norm in other industries. So I, I think law is a fantastic area to be a woman. After law school, you joined this major firm, a litigation team. You stayed at the firm for almost seven years, is that right? Yeah. It sounds like you were right on track for partnership. You were doing everything that we say that law school is all about. Then you jumped, you bailed, and you took this huge risk and started your own company. What was that about? You know, it's it's really weird because when I was in law school, I... I didn't know as well as everybody else why I wanted to be a lawyer. It was kind of an option when I was in college and I thought, well, let me go try law school. I have an uncle who's a lawyer and he loves being a lawyer and that was kind of the end of it. So I was really nervous about going to a law firm and whether I was going to enjoy it and thought, well, I'll go and I'll be there for a year or two and then I'll figure out what I really want to do. It was actually quite the opposite. I loved practicing law. Um, I I felt very fortunate. Uh, I found a firm with people and cases that really were fascinating for me. And suddenly I found myself years later on partnership track and it was somewhere I never expected to be because I thought, oh, I'm not gonna enjoy this. Um, And I had skipped a year of high school and a year of college and I'd gone straight through, so I was pretty young. And I just had this moment walking down the hall one day where I thought, if I do this, if I gun it the next two years toward partnership, I kind of know what I'll be doing every day for the rest of my life. And that's not really a bad thing. I enjoy what I do. But what if there are other things out there? And I just thought, if I'm ever going to do something else, I should go do it now they'll always require me, this firm or any other firm, to do that last two years toward partnership. So I should do it now rather than you know do another year and then go and then have to do two more years later. 
And uh, I thought I would travel and do volunteer work for a while, which is something that had always really been important to me. Um, but I, at the same time, I had really grown frustrated with all the day-to-day -day tasks that bogged down litigation teams and that there wasn't better software out there for us. And I knew nothing about software development or entrepreneurship, but a friend put me in touch with some engineers and we just, I was down in Brooklyn meeting with them and I can remember very vividly the conversation and talking about it and they were like, oh yeah, well we could do this and we could do this. and it suddenly seemed possible and next thing I knew I was on this software company entrepreneurship track. It seems, okay, you mentioned two words that I want to go back to. One is you said it was a little weird. It does seem like outside of the typical track for a lawyer, especially kind of on the dream firm, the dream litigation team, you were on the dream track. It, it's unusual for somebody to take stock um, to stop in you early 30s, late 20s? Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> late 20s or early 30s. Right? That I mean, that's kind of a, an epiphany moment yep. to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to keep going. If, I, if the trajectory of my life continues, I'm going to be not, that's not such a bad life. No, not at all. I, I really, for someone who, especially someone who going into law, knows that they they want to litigate and they want to be a lawyer. I mean, I really had a dream career. You know, when I started at the firm and it was a firm where you could you you could switch um, during your first and second years, you could switch between litigation and corporate. I was actually going to start in corporate. I didn't even intend to start in litigation. Um, a partner started there lateraled over before I started who seemed to have really fascinating work and that's what caused me to say, okay, well, let me start in litigation and then I'll switch to corporate. So I really, you know, I didn't have it all mapped out in my head. I just fell into this amazing career. And when I was leaving, making that point just now, it reminded me of a conversation I had with one of the senior most partners at the firm. And he sat me down and he said, but you're good at this. Right. And I was like, I know. So I'm going to have to go try something else. You know, I'm, I may come back. And he just kept saying, but I don't understand why you'd leave. Like, everything's good. You're good at this. We like working with you. And it was interesting to watch because he's such an amazing, passionate litigator. And it was almost as if he couldn't contemplate that if someone had this dream career and this is something they were good at, why would they leave and do something else? I think it's amazing, especially when you spent a crap ton of money on an education yes. and you're on a beautiful track <laughs> and you have a dream job. It's amazing that you're willing to jump. Yeah, for better or worse. Um, right. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, now a lot of friends will refer their lawyer friends to me who are interested in entrepreneurship and have ideas and they think, you know, I'll be very rah-rah and go do it. And it's somewhat the opposite because I didn't know what I was getting myself into and I have no regrets. I've had an amazing ride and I really, my whole life, have kind of embraced challenge and struggle and that's okay with me but I always make clear when I have these conversations with people it's you know entrepreneurship and having a startup it's not it's not all you know rainbows and sunshine and excitement and you know people 
don't always see the other side and I want to make clear to them, you know, what reality is like. And then if they want to go do it, great. I will support them and do everything I can. But I think it's important for people to have realistic expectations because, you know, there is a very, there is a very big difference between having a job that you're good at and that you enjoy and that feels like a dream job and then having a job where you are making mistakes every single day. And that's really what entrepreneurship often feels like. Mm -hmm. Now, the upside of that, of course, is if you can take it, you learn so much. I mean, you learn so much more by making mistakes and growing and learning than being good at your job every day. You, I'm going to go back and ask one more question before we go on to the entrepreneurship. You mentioned the word gunning it. Um, were you a gunner in law school? No. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was the opposite of a gunner. I mean, my, my engagement in law school and my engagement in actually practicing law were kind of 180s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I know people who loved law school and didn't really like practicing and left fairly early. I was kind of the opposite. I mean, law school was fine. Um, there were there were certainly classes that I really enjoyed, but I definitely wasn't a gunner in law school. I also don't drink coffee, so in the morning classes, I was hardly even awake. <laughs> I looked around at everybody else, and they had their cup of coffee, and they were wide awake, and I was High so octane, jealous. High octane, extremely yeah. caffeinated. <laughs> exactly. Right. Whereas practicing law, you right. can often start the day at 11 o'clock. Right. It was much more my speed. Exactly. Okay. Well, I just, that was a word that you used, and so I, I hear that a lot about, about law school, so yeah. I just wanted to reference that. You also talked about the fact that, I've heard you talk about your experiences growing up and how it shaped who you are. Um, and the person that you are yeah. today in your work, your work ethic, your work style. Can work you talk addiction. A your work addiction. <laughs> eh, you know, that's your word. I claim a little bit of that myself. I'm not sure that we can claim work addiction, but I definitely have a, a buzz from work. Yeah. And I, I see it and I love it. I, you know, as a colleague of mine says, I pick up what you're laying down. <laughs> I see it. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when I was growing up, my mom was still in grad school. Um, You know, we used government assistance for housing and food and, you know, all these things that when you suddenly find yourself in a big law firm are very foreign to most of the people around you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a great childhood, um, you know, grew up in outside of D.C., you know, Loved where I grew up, loved my family, um, but money was always a struggle. I remember when I was younger and I would go to the store and had to buy clothes, and I would walk in, and you know, it wasn't like superfluous shopping, it was, I need clothes for school. And uh, I would walk into the clothing stores and have like panic attacks about spending money. I want to never panic about money again. So that's just what makes it all the more bizarre that in that moment when I finally achieved security, I was like, let's throw it all out the window and panic and about money. And go be an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because in at the most um, basic sense, you would think that you would be risk averse. You would. Now, on the other side of it, and I've now read this about a lot of entrepreneurs, um, and a lot of them had similar backgrounds, losing it all doesn't scare you the way it might scare someone who hasn't had that experience Mm -hmm. because I reached a point and it was you know that same walk down the hallway and I'm having all these thoughts where the monetary security and the social security not in the traditional sense of the word but meaning you know having a support system of people with at the most basic level couches that you could sleep on Mm -hmm. um, my world was completely different than it had been growing up I never was going to 
although there may be moments as an entrepreneur where I panicked about money, I was never on a broader scale going to be panicked because I always knew that I could go back to being a lawyer and make an amazing amount of money in a heartbeat. And having right. that upbringing, I knew how to put that money amount of money in context, and it's incredible. And I also had this network of friends and family who were incredibly supportive. And I just knew that, you know, even if I fell to the lowest point that I could fall as an entrepreneur, that I was still gonna be just fine. And that and that's I think where you know, although it seems counterintuitive, it actually makes a lot of sense as to why people who grow up in those situations become entrepreneurs. That resonates for me personally. I come from a background where I think the the code word is socioeconomic disadvantage. And I think that it does make, I I know for, I speak for myself, I own my own story. Um, It's made me brave. Uh, in a way, because I, I say I know what it means to be poor, and uh, you know you can survive it. Absolutely. And I sometimes I look at people and I think, oh come on, you can wash dishes rather than be miserable. Yeah. <laughs> come on, be brave. I also have read that you're quite the traveler, so that means that you've taken that that bravery and that that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I love traveling. Um, I can't quite pinpoint the moment that it shifted because when I was younger, I was even scared to go on a roller coaster. Not scared anymore. (laughs) Um, But at some point, I think in law school actually, and again, I don't even know what happened, but at some point I just decided that I wanted to travel a lot. And I didn't, you know, when I was working in the law firm, I didn't spend a lot of money on things. I didn't spend a lot of money on rent. Um, I always had a roommate. But I spent money on travel, and that was my thing. And I was really lucky to work at a firm. You spent money on experiences. Yes, on experiences. And Mm -hmm. I was really lucky to work at a firm that enabled that. They didn't have a strict vacation policy. They understood that people are working nights and weekends, and if they get a day where something doesn't need to be done, they should be able to take a breath. And so I could take really amazing trips and just work my butt off when I was in the city or anywhere really and they knew that I would always you know if I needed to jump on something when I was in Argentina or you know when I was in South Africa that I that I would be on it and I've taken some calls and answered some emails in some really weird places but I've made it to all seven continents and tons of countries and I really the perspective you get seeing the way that other people live it's just it's invaluable Um, And we are so lucky in this country. And, you know, I just think even the people who are, you know, are disadvantaged, Mm -hmm. it's for the most part nothing compared to what people in other countries are going through. And I think that, again, that perspective is really helpful whatever challenges you're facing day to day. It's an amazing gift. There's two things that come from this, I think. One is you get a cultural perspective, Mm -hmm. obviously. But there's also some there's also a message in this that you're taking time for yourself, that you're taking a yes. really clear break from the business, whatever it is, of your day to day grind, yeah. the work, the work as it looks as it shows up. Even if you're taking a call on Safari, or even if you're taking a call in Argentina or in Antarctica, yeah. <laughs> you're you know, at Drake's Passage. Yep. Hopefully you weren't seasick. Um, but you, <laughs> no, luckily you, not. But you're still taking a really clear break. And I think that's a great message for people and from our, for our students to walk away and get a different perspective. 
you have to do that. And it's really, it's really easy when you love what you do and you're a hard worker to get caught up in it all and kind of get carried away. And I've found that when it goes too far, my body will tell me like your back hurts, you start getting sick more often. And, but you're also just not as good at what you're doing because your mind isn't clear. And I would plan these trips when I was at the law firm. And so it always gave me something to look forward to, especially Mm. in those moments, you know, where you are at trial or, you know, in the thick of things and it feels overwhelming. It really helped, even if, you know, like Antarctica was planned months in advance, even if it's off in the future, something to look forward to that's for you can help so immensely in those moments. and then, like, as an entrepreneur, there was a period of time where I really couldn't travel because I couldn't be on a plane for 15 hours with no internet. Um, and I reached a point where I really, I was burning out about a year and a half ago. And I looked around me and suddenly realized, you know, I'm not on my own anymore. I have this amazing team. They can handle things. And it was just such a great realization that, you know, I could take a moment for myself and I planned a... Uh, it was the week of my birthday and I planned a trip for the following week to Costa Rica to go to surf camp. And I left my computer in the car. And while I was in Costa Rica, I left my phone in the hotel room. And I had internet at the hotel, so I was in touch, but I had no computer and I didn't have the phone out with me during the day and when I went to eat and stuff. And it was, it just reinforced for me how important it is to take those breaks because I came back from that refreshed and excited again and it just it restored one week restored so much that had been burning me out over more than a year really clear creativity started Mm -hmm. to resurge in you yeah some of the ups and downs I think of entrepreneurship has to do with creativity yes (laughs) and the capacity to kind of rebuild yourself When I think of startups, I obviously don't think of the legal profession, the highs and lows of starting your own company. What have some of the lows been? You've talked about the burnout. (laughs) Yeah, the real low is that you are carrying it all Um, Mm. as the founder, and especially when you don't have a co-founder, you're carrying everything. So you are carrying your shareholders' investments. You are carrying your team's livelihoods and their you know, their families rely on the salary that you're providing them. And you can't ever have that moment of thinking, I'm just going to quit. And as hard as law firm days could get, and there were definitely days where it was just brutal and you're like, maybe, maybe I just need to take a break. Maybe I'll just quit. And then you're like, no, but you could have that thought. And as an entrepreneur, you don't get to have that thought. Mm -hmm. And people think that entrepreneurship brings freedom But really, it's the least amount of freedom that you'll ever have because you are carrying all this weight. And I think that's what's really hard because every decision that you make, and you're absolutely right, there's a lot of creativity involved. When something doesn't go as expected, you have to come up with plan B and then maybe plan C, and it's all happening, you know, in the moment. And every day you wake up, you know, you don't know what your emails are going to hold, and it could be an amazing high, or it could be a devastating low, Mm -hmm. and you have to learn to kind of ride that out. So I think that is the hardest part, that you have to find a way to carry it all, and also to not let the devastating lows hit you so hard, but the corollary of that is that you actually 
don't get to ride the amazing highs as much as the people around you. Everybody gets so excited, but you've learned that there's always, you know, another wave coming and you have to just kind of find that middle ground and it's what saves you during the low periods, but you know, it kind of stinks when you don't get to enjoy the high periods. You get to be the calm center in the middle of it all. Or try to be, yes. Yeah, well it's kind of interesting because I think people don't associate creativity so much with entrepreneurs. Um, Creativity is a word that we talk about with artists and, but there's a sense of building something, creating something and problem solving that goes with building a business. Absolutely. Um, And it's really pretty arduous, especially for somebody who wants to occasionally walk away and blow it up and (laughs) go to Argentina. Yeah, it is very mentally taxing in a way that being a lawyer never was. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's on all fronts. It's not even like being creative in one area because on the one hand, we're creating a product and I'm listening to our clients and prospective clients and working with our engineers and learning all about engineering so that we can find a way to speak lawyer to engineer and, you know, developing this product. And then we're working with design consultants on our messaging and branding and it's all about like words and colors and you know being creative in actually a more traditional sense and Mm -hmm. then and then we have you know the accounting and figuring out like okay you know at certain times who are you going to ask to maybe wait to get paid um you're raising money when's the money expected to come in trying to make sure to balance so that everything always comes out clean because I, you know, I never wanted to be way in debt to someone in a way that you couldn't pay them. So I've always tried to, like, as we go, make sure that I manage the books very carefully. And um, and then, you know, networking and figuring out, okay, if I want to explore partnerships, then I need to meet more people at legal services companies. How am I going to go about that? How am I going to meet the people that I need to meet? I mean, I've come up with some creative ways to meet people or get, you know, someone very high profile to find out about me by making sure that I get published in the right place. Like it's stitch it all together. It's it's creativity in all directions to mm-hmm. try and get done what you need to get done. It's astonishing to me, especially because there's so much going on in the tech industry about we hear a lot about women yeah. in these last few weeks, particularly in the last few months, about how women are treated in the tech industry and lately there's been all these scandals blown up in the entertainment world mm-hmm. um, in the political world about um, I'm actually really grateful that women have come forward absolutely about how they've been treated it doesn't seem like things have changed that much since the 40s and 50s and unfortunately since the 1800s can you talk about your experience with this because you're a young woman in this field where it's very male dominated yeah Yeah, I mean, there are absolutely disadvantages and weird moments. And, you know, it's it's another area of creativity where, you know, you're talking to someone and then it reaches the point where you clearly realize that they're trying to flirt with you. And how do you navigate around that? Because that's not why you're here to talk to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be, you know, both that side of it. But another side of it I've seen, for example, one of our investors called me honey one time and it wasn't meant in that sense it was more of a paternal Mm -hmm. and but that's also very frustrating because 
I don't need them to take care of me. I'm also an adult, and I look at how they treat people my same age and my same position who are men, and they're not treating them as a parent. They're treating them, you know, as a CEO of a company. And so... He's putting you in your place, and what exactly is your place? Yeah, <laughs> and it, so it's very hard because you also don't feel like in that moment you can be like, you can engage with them on that, you right. know, and it's, you can tell that people at this point who still look at women differently and treat them differently, you're not going to be able to explain it to them in a moment, you mm-hmm. know, it really is a much larger conversation and requires them seeing that behavior again and again and again. And so, yes, it's hard. But I do want to add here, and I know we're getting close on time, but I, I want to add because the part that often I say but doesn't get in written interviews and the part that also often gets cut out is there are also some really incredible men. Right. And I have a lot of men and women, but since we're talking about men, who have surrounded me as colleagues and investors and cheerleaders and clients who do not treat me any differently. And if I go to them and say something that another man did because I just need to vent, they totally get it and they're like, that's wrong. And that is a story that I think sometimes doesn't get told. I hear you. You know, there are really some incredible men out there who do celebrate and support women. But beyond that, don't treat them any differently than they would a man. And so I just, you know, I do want to make sure that that gets in there. I absolutely agree. I will tell you that funding for this podcast series, by the way, came from some men. Good. who really, really supported it. That's awesome. So, I mean, it's also true that men, that women supported it as well. Right. But there were, there were a group of men who said, this is a story that, these are, these are women's stories that need to be told. So I absolutely, I hear that. I love that you own your story. It's yours. <laughs> you don't pretend to be something that you're not. You don't make your story fit into what other people want to hear, and I, I really love that. Much to my PR person's chagrin back in the day. <laughs> no, it's really, I think it's really inspiring, and it's really it's really affirming. It's really exactly the kind of thing that I think that young women, especially in law school, want to hear. Um, I was going to say should hear and need to hear. I typically end our conversations with this question when I think back, or when you think back to the beginning of law school. What advice would you give your 1L self? The advice I would give is nothing is permanent. Uh. Um, And I mean that in a good way and a bad way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think especially when you're, and I think a part of this is age and a part of it is all the experiences that I've had, that when something terrible happens or it feels terrible, it's not gonna last, it's okay, things get better. And when something wonderful happens, don't put your whole self into that as if it will never go away um, or everything's going to be perfect from here on out. <laughs> Alma, that's very Buddhist of you. <laughs> negative things can happen. And there was a very you know, poignant moment along the line where that was reinforced to me. And I, I wish I could have told myself that even earlier. Do you know, I was going to ask you what your law student self would think of you. But I want to go back even further to when you were a little kid living in in the D.C. area. What would she think of you? I think she would be really glad that, and, and not to say by any means that I'm cool, but that 
I'm much, oh, I think you're that, pretty cool. <laughs> that I'm cooler than I ever would have imagined I would be because I was a real nerd and introvert when I was little. And I thought, you know, talking to people, getting to know lots of people and being out there in the world would have been a very daunting thing to me as a mm-hmm. young child. And the fact that now, you know, I speak publicly and I network and all these things that would have terrified me um, and know all these people and have lots of friends in different kinds of industries. I think she'd be very glad that I'm not just, you know, sitting behind a desk and keeping to myself all day, every day. Well, I'm glad too. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you for coming here today and sharing your story. And I really, you do rock it. Oh, Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really just... For on behalf of NYU um, and the law school, really proud of you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me today. Um, this has been fun, and you've asked some great questions that are fun to answer. Well, glad you were here. Thank you. For more information about the Women's Leadership Network at NYU School of Law, and to access more episodes in this series, please visit us online at law.nyu.edu. Dot edu slash women's leadership.